In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You are advised that any view expressed by the host or their guest are not necessarily the views of the owners or management of Toginet Radio, Togi Entertainment, or the Owners Group, Inc. us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the explained, and the unbelievable New England Zone Van Helsink. And with me, all the way, all the way from across the pond, the ghost finder general himself, the most haunted Richard Felix. All the way from over the pond, and it's a long way over the pond. How you doing? I'm doing outstanding. Uh, lots of good things happening uh, last week, a lot of interesting things. I know you've had some, and I myself did. So uh, let's talk a little bit about yours first, and that would be... Uh, I've had the most fantastic, well, last week. So sorry I wasn't on last week, but, uh, oh, dear, these things are sent to Yeah, the Psychic and Science uh, show started uh, last, I can't even remember what day, Ron, I'm not, I've been out every night last week till silly o'clock, but uh, yeah, went really well, the first theatre show was, was, was good, we were, some of us were slightly nervous at the beginning, but you know, we had a, a, a good audience, uh, and then the second one we had an even bigger audience, and wow, um, it, it's, <laughs> it's going so well, I'm, I'm thrilled to bits, I really am. Um, we, as you know, we had this rather amazing uh, machine that we've created. Um, and in fact, I really must get the two guys on the show in the not-too-distant future that, that actually have invented it for me. But this is the, um, call it what you will, the ghost television machine or the silica um, something machine. And we, we, we've... The idea is we've zapped the walls of the theatre. You see, all the theatres we're doing are haunted. And so what we're doing is, we're, you know me and my stone tape theory, and I believe the recordings are held in the fabric and all that sort of stuff. Well, at the end of the show, we've got this um, equipment, for want of a better word, that zaps the wall with electricity. And then we've got uh, plasma beams shining up into the theatre. And then we set the old smoke machine going, which, of course, is, is silica, you know, sort of dry ice, and see if we can get an image that comes out of the fabric of the building that people can either see on stage or, or with their cameras. Really? And, and it, it's amazing. It's fantastic. Uh, we've got it in a coffin, <laughs> which is a bit theatrical, but hang on. We are doing yeah, I a, a theatre show. Yep. So, and, a, and the whole thing is a great we, idea. It is. Well, I mean, the thing is, Ron, it's, you know, if you didn't sail towards the edge of the Earth, nobody would ever have proved that it's actually round. Mm-hmm. 
And so the same thing applies with what we're doing. We, we, we don't know whether this is the right thing to be doing. Um, we don't know what electricity to put into the wall. We don't know whether to put two, 20 volts, 12 volts, okay. 9 volts, or 2 million volts in. But we're trying. We're experimenting. And we've got some fantastic photographs that people have been taking and, with and faces course, and all and sorts of things. Wait a minute. The uh, theater has been... Uh, exercised by the Christians uh, protesting oh, outside, yes. so I wonder yes. if that will affect it. I forgot. I forgot. For the, the first show we did, we had a group of Christians outside the theatre with their Bibles, um, actually circling the the building. Isn't that a spirit circle or something? Yeah, circling the building. I presume they were exercising us inside and sa sa saving our souls. I would think, which really? I found. Amazing, to say the least. Unbelievable. And now, of course, poor old Chris Conway has had a death threat. Really? Yeah. Absolutely. Living, from the living or the dead? I get the impression that it's the living. Okay, I was just wondering. <laughs> you never know. I mean, in, in our uh, line of work, uh, you never know. Well, I would, have, I would have thought that the spirits would have been his friend. Uh, and it's there are certain people out there that are living that I believe for some reason aren't. Uh, but yeah, great. I mean, it's doing us no harm. Yeah, <laughs> there's nothing. The only one thing worse than being talked about is not being talked about. That's true. And they're feeding. They're they're playing right into our hands. But yeah, Ron, it's great. I'm really excited. Um, and tomorrow, Ronald, I am going to Oliver Cromwell's house. Oh, get away. He won't be in, because <laughs> he's been dead since 1658, I think, something like that. Be, yeah, no, no, you're just assuming he won't he be. He might be, Corporate but it's haunted. <laughs> so I'm having a very exciting time. Very exciting time. And now I'm off to a theatre in Lancaster, the Grand Theatre in Lancaster, on Thursday for the third, sh third fourth show. So, yes, yeah, great. Things are good. I know we have a guest on the line, but I just want to mention one thing, too, is last week we did kind of uh, groundbreaking stuff ourselves, and that was yeah. that we did our first uh, paranormal uh, cruise expedition, and that is that we went out, we rented a boat and a ship, actually, and went out in the ocean and used various methods to communicate with spirits in the open water, including yeah. a hydrophone, which was interesting, and we did pick up some EVPs in it, so. Hmm. Oh, boy. This was under the, from, 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 was this in the sea, Ron, or in, in a lake or river? Or? Atlantic, Atlantic Ocean. Wow. Yeah, and we, uh, we supposedly made contact with the crew of a German U-boat, so. No. Yes. Oh, come on. Now, <laughs> I'd like to hear the EVP. What, what was it in German? I will bring it on because I haven't heard the whole thing myself. But we had uh, we also had a brought a medium aboard as well, and uh, there were actually two mediums on board, and they picked up on different things. Now nobody knew who or what we were going to contact, so mm -hmm. it was kind of interesting the things that. Uh, oh, this sounds great because yeah. I'm a huge believer in a thing called another thing called thought transference, where thoughts if you like, or even messages, uh, water, water has an ability, like, like sandstone, because it contains silica as well, that contain, you know, that can actually, um, you know, hold, hold a memory of a recording. 
we actually and, have a and the same thing with us now, uh, Richard, who knows more about that stuff than, yes. uh, combined. <laughs> and he is none other than uh, really a quantum physicist, Jonathan Frost. Hi there. How are you doing? I, I'm you very really, well. Are you really a quantum physicist? Uh, my background is in quantum physics, yes. Oh, my God. I don't think anyone could ever define themselves as a quantum physicist. So i, I got to ask wow. you one question before we go any further. I mean, how does one go in life saying, you know, I mean, you're all growing up and then it's like, you know, I think I want to be a quantum physicist. It's like, wow. You know what I mean? Well, how did you ever get there? <laughs> well, I think as we go through life, we make a whole series of decisions. And at one point, I was going to be going down the path of chemistry. Um, and something stopped me, and I went down the path of physics instead. And then when you then go into the discipline of physics, you're presented with a whole series of interesting subjects, whether it be medical physics, material science, optoelectronics. And, and, the, and the theory that really got me going was the anything to do with theoretical physics, and particularly quantum as opposed to relativity, was the bit that really, really excited me. Wow, that's amazing. Oh, boy. Jonathan, I, I, we've only got an hour, but <laughs> but I mean, can you can you teach me quantum physics in an hour? No, you can't. But oh God, I'm very I'm very interested to talk to you some more no, because uh, uh, you know I, that, that's what I'm getting into the realms of. But I don't understand it. I'm afraid I I have to say I'm a a humble whatever. You know, I I left school at 15 and I hated physics and I loathed science. But now I'm sort of trying to delve into the, the areas of what you're doing, quantum physics, and I need to know more. <laughs> well, I think physics is, is, is now reaching a path that is becoming a little bit more accessible um, mm. because it's gone, it's gone through a very dry period, probably about 50 years ago, but it's quite dull. And it's, it's science fiction has almost caught up with physics in a way that, that, that it's becoming what we call in terms of outreach. Things like um, Doctor Who, Star Trek... The, the, what goes on between those subjects is the basics of all the very exciting theoretical physics and astrophysics. And I think that's what makes it it's that bridge that potentially people get involved in the subject again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's just, to me, it's such a, you know, a, a, I don't know, a frightening subject for me. And yet I'm trying to get into it. You know, but I'm sort of, I'm sort of trying to get into things like entanglement and all, all, all sorts of things and, and holographic universes and uh, all part of the ghost business, basically. It sounds like you've been reading the work of David Bohm. Sorry? It sounds like you've been reading the work of David Bohm. He was a great... Really? Uh, I was going to say to you, what, what do you suggest I start with? <laughs> oh, right. Because uh, <laughs> um, it's got to be easy for me, you see. That's the trouble. Well, the dummy's guide to quantum physics is a very good start. Sorry, the the dummy's guide to quantum theory. Yeah, that's that sounds good to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll Google it. It's actually a very good book. Really? Because you see, I, I, the, the problem—I mean, the problem that I believe we have with with this—you know—this word ghost or ghost business, or whatever we want to say, is that, that in, in my humble opinion, and until, until someone tries to take it seriously <laughs> and gets away from, as, I, as I've said so often, the Scooby-Doo side of things, um, scientists and guys like yourself, for instance, you know, probably will never really take it seriously. Where is it there, is a, there is a real side to it. 
Yes, and, and there is a difficulty um, because there is so much uh, incredulous work being done that when you try and mention the subject to uh, any kind of research body, they um, will look at you with a sort of dis uh, disgust, quite honestly. Yes, it's you're easier, right. It's, it's easier in the realms of psychology and parapsychology because that, that's a bit more of a sliding scale um, yeah. because it's all to do with human behavior. So there's, there's acceptability in that. But when we, call, when we talk in terms of violations of the laws of physics being produced by dead people, it's a very difficult thing to try and get funding for. Yeah, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. But you see, my, 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 my thoughts on, the, on actually the fact dead people, I, you see, I think that an awful lot of what we're experiencing has got absolutely nothing to do with dead people at all. Um, I think it's got so much more to do with energies, earth energies and, and, and quantum physics and, and all of that sort of stuff. Uh, I, and I believe that we're still in the, in the Stone Age as regards still believing that an awful lot of what happens that we see and hear and sense is, is, a, is a, you know, and this word ghost, which is, you know, it's a bit like me with the remote control closing my gates. You know, that 150 years ago, that would have been a ghost, wouldn't it? It's very true. I mean, a lot of what we, we consider normal nowadays would be considered um, of either superstition or witchcraft in, in some shape or form. And I think if we, if we, I think if we can look into consciousness, and how we observe the world, and therefore logically how the world is then perceived in a, in a, in a consciousness of a, what Union would term collective consciousness. I think we, we can get away from the dead concept quite easily and, and look at something in terms of continuance of consciousness, in terms of how we all relate to each other. But the fact that I'm here now talking to people is increasing my awareness in the reality of the universe much more than if I would just sat in front of the TV tonight on my own. And, it, and it's, it's how we interact with the world that creates our own universe, and it's that potentially which could be then we could be tapping into on a paranormal investigation in terms of what in, in, in temple physics, which is a whole other building. Absolutely right. You know, what's interesting, Jonathan, is you are a quantum physicist, and, and even myself, I have, a, you know, I'm not even going to try to compare myself to you, but I have a degree in environmental science, and we have a science background, yet we're still pursuing this thing called the ghost. I mean, you actually do ghost events as, as well, don't you? Or yes. Or your company does? Yeah, so what I'm trying to do is basically uh, do a lot of research to try and actually break it down to its bare bolts of what are we trying to investigate, what are the phenomena that is actually occurring. Um, there's a lot of talk I see in, in investigation reports about activity and phenomena, but then I don't see categorization of them. Um, I got very excited when I first started doing this, thinking I was going to see the violations of the laws of physics. Things were going to move of their own accord. Things were going to appear out the blue of their own accord. And we always find that generally it's a lot more subtle. And nowadays what we get excited about would have been quite disappointing to perhaps a, a beginner. I think when, you, when you're there in, in amongst this activity, it's very exciting, but when you try and describe it later, you know, on Monday morning at work, what happened? Oh, we heard a tapping. Is that it? Yeah. It was great. Um, I think there's, there's a subtlety to it. Um, that requires reclassification in terms of what we're trying to see. So we might get acoustic effects, but then we have to see whether they can be recorded by an external device so we can gain some kind of objectivity. 
or do those acoustic phenomena always occur via the, the observer, in which case we always got to consider them subjective, and then the realms of psychology. And, I, and what I'm trying to do is classify this and to basically understand at source, when paranormal events happen, what, what are the core constituents? Obviously, there has to be an observer. It's that classic thing of the tree make a noise in the wood. Um, if there are no one to observe a paranormal phenomenon, does it really occur? So you've got to have the observer, but we've got to have other ingredients to make something which would be considered a paranormal event. And I think it's tr- it, I'm, I'm trying to get a, gr- a grasp of that so that I can look at it with my physics head on as to what might be going on. It's really interesting, I mean, because the problem with the paranormal, it's really not laboratory work, and it it really gets all muddled in, because then you get the belief system in. I mean, for instance, uh, I've been lucky enough to actually see uh, objects move by themselves. I mean, I I was at the old man's, Richard, which you know well. Yes, indeed. Yep, and I was in the bookstore, and I was addressing the group. We were doing an event there, and a book from behind me flew off the shelf. Now, I'm not talking dropped on the floor. It flew off the shelf past me on a thing in front of 30 people. Now, was it documented at all? Absolutely not. Uh, so that's the problem you run at. And if you tell someone, then, you know, especially like if I talk to Cal Cooper about it or, or Karen O'Keefe, they'll say, well, you know, uh, did somebody tap on the wall? They forced the book down, or did I mean? So it's, they weren't there, so they looking at all the uh, logical explanations. Even though, because if you were there, you would know that they weren't logical. So that that's the problem you run into, anyways. Is that it, you can't really use science in it because a lot of times it's a more spontaneous thing than a, a really a laboratory experience. Does that make sense? There is a but there. A lot of um, the understanding of the physical world could be said to be spontaneous. Before we understood electricity, it was considered it would be considered a spontaneous event. So the either the creation of static electricity, which is then um, unwarranted and it can just happen, um, and then of course lightning storms, um, which again we can we could understand where they're coming from, but again we would have no sense of controlling them. So until we understood what the mechanics of um, electricity, we could then control it. Once we can control it and measure it, then we can start doing experimentation on it. So I think there will come a time when we get a better idea of the mechanics of paranormal um, phenomena, and then we'll, and then from that we'll have better chances of having devices that could measure when they're actually occurring. I see. I mean, it, and not only that, uh, you, you like you said, electricity. Um, it, it could be very well thought of paranormal as paranormal activity years back, but now we know that it's static electricity or whatever. So, as Richard always says, maybe all paranormal experience could be explained away. Maybe there is no paranormal experience. Ironically, yes, because once we start understanding, it will no longer be beyond the word of paranormal, and we will just be brought into the fold of knowledge. Yeah, there will be, there is, isn't there, I mean, let's be honest, there is, there will be, there is a scientific explanation for everything. We just, we just haven't got it yet, have we? Yes, in essence, yes. But, but we no, probably, some of it, we never will. 
But so knowing, what if, I, mean, like, I was going to say, if, by, go ahead. <laughs> um, knowing human nature, I'm sure as soon as we've embraced something into the common understanding of science, um, people will find something else to oh, hold yeah. esoteric um, belief. Yeah, we'll go on to UFOs next. <laughs> well, we're on it anyway. We're on it anyway, but you know what I mean. That's the thing. But you see, the thing is, guys, we've got to be very careful because obviously, you, you like me, and, and Ron, of course, we're all um, yes. uh, we're all searching for the truth. We're all experimenting. We're all um, yeah, paranormal investigators. But we better not prove it just yet, otherwise, we'll all be out of a job, won't we? Right. What if we prove there is paranormal activity or, or not? I shouldn't say there is paranormal activity. There is spirit activity because, of, you know, once we explain it, as Jonathan said, it's not paranormal, it's normal. So what if we finally prove that spirits can do these things? Then it's it's not paranormal anymore. It's just normal. And will it, and it just become, would it be accepted? Would it be accepted? That's a tricky question. Um, it, it, because I think there will always be people that won't accept it, no matter what. Well, we I think the only way we all know the that, only way right? we'll ever sorry, Ron, sorry. The only way we'll ever we'll ever really. I know now we're talking not the scientific side, and you know I I think like sixty percent of what's going on out there is, is is held in the fabric. It's a recording. It's not a it's not a, an intelligence. But the other the other forty percent or whatever it happens to be, uh, the only way we'll ever will ever all of us will ever accept it is if they all all our dead relatives from whenever just come <laughs> all come back and stay with us when they want to like when like grandma coming for tea you know i mean um but i can't can't see things happening like that can you i think you're talking about revelation I know, I was just yes, thinking that too. Yes, I think I probably am, to be honest. Right. Yes, I think I probably am. Um, I, I don't know, but... <laughs> is it... I don't know, is that happening? I don't know. But, you know, that, I mean, like, but you see, there are cultures that do accept it. I mean, the Mexicans do, don't they, really? They have the Day of the Dead and all this sort of stuff, and, and I, don't, I don't think they have the fear of, of, of ghosts that we have. It would be interesting to talk to other countries um, to, who have got a better uh, embrace death with a little bit more um, less Victorian um, mm. thinking to see whether they have the same sort of fixation about the paranormal. I, I would suspect not. I would think they would they just don't. think, well, of course it's Granny McCormick. You know, of course it is. It's yeah, yeah, that's right. They leave the food out for the dead. For the, I, I mean, I'd, I'd be very, very interested to find out whether the, whether the dead actually come and pick the food up. Uh, yes. on, the, on the night of the dead or the day of the dead, I, I presume they don't again that would I mean they would probably never even considered checking because it's just not part of their culture it would be like the belief system's there it doesn't need questioning whereas we of course we instantly be there with our cameras set up to watch the food yeah. disappear mm -hmm. that's so true because I say it's one of the many things I've been saying that I, I believe that, that, that ghosts and that's the word again, is an English-speaking people's thing. Or the culture of ghosts, or the fear of ghosts, is, 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 seems to be particular to the English, although Ron will disagree with me, I know. Because I know the Chinese have ghosts, I know that the Japanese, are not, but, but, you know, you don't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't, I don't think, buy lots of ghost books in, in, and, you know, you certainly wouldn't, I don't think, find a Tokyo ghost walk. Because <laughs> they're accepted in society, that's all. Correct, absolutely right. They, they in fact, accept the, the, the fact that 
that the dead do return, that there is life after death. That's very true. But we don't. And yet we're fascinated by it. Why not? Which is amazing. I think we can blame the Victorians for this, and they're, <laughs> and they're, they're slightly un, unnatural concepts of death, and they went a little bit overboard with the whole Gothic, um, which obviously there was a fusion between America and, and um, the UK at that instance in, 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 in morality and social standing. And I think that there became this blackness regarding death, which wasn't there in the, Georgian, in, in the UK in the Georgian period, the Regency, and then during the, the, during the Victorian period, we just got this very morbid fear of death mm. because of life was so hard. And I, and I think it's taken an, an entire century to shake it off, really. Yes, I think you're probably right. But the amazing thing is that, well, of course, in the, in the days when most ghosts come from, if you know what I mean, the ghosts that are around now, um, come from a, a sort of a, a period of, of getting on getting on for two thousand years. Um, there was an acceptance then that they existed because basically things like suicides were not allowed to be buried at the crossroads because we knew full well that they weren't at rest yeah. and that they would be around. Um, the Murder Act of seventeen fifty two over here was 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 created to punish murderers more than people that had committed another crime by actually keeping them here because they were frightened to go to hell and they knew they wouldn't get in through through the pearly gates and and the law that states that the years ago that if you had a ghost in your house before you sold the property you had to state at the bottom of the deeds complete with incumbent otherwise you could be prosecuted so you know we we had this belief that, funnily enough, we seem to have lost. Is it, I don't know whether it's Victorians that caused us to lose it. Am I right by thinking about the... Um, we're going to focus, unfortunately, a lot on, on, on the UK, particularly English, but, um, Richard, do you remember about the... During the Tudor period, it was considered good luck to bury a child in the foundation of the building. Really? Wow. I've not heard of a child. Certainly, I mean, we, we used to bury cats and, a, and, and dig a skull up from the graveyard. Um, but that was, uh, I think, as much as anything to ward off evil spirits. We'd, 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 we also, I think, we'd bury a pair of shoes or so, not bury, put under the foundation someone's shoes um, and that sort of stuff. But I've never heard of a child. But, wow, I, I need to know more about that one. That sounds interesting, that does. Free Tudor. Um, and I think, obviously, if you think about a time when child mortality was at yes. a rate when, unfortunately, there are a lot of dead children because the mortality rate was so high. So it wasn't such a rare, tragic experience. Um, but yes. I think to remember researching that somewhere. Wow. Now, that's really... I'd like to know more about that one. That's an, and, of course, unbaptized children were, you know, were never allowed to be buried in consecrated ground, uh, were always you know, buried outside the churchyard. And, of course, because of that, we believe that their, their spirits, their souls, their ghost, um, was abroad, still abroad. And the big one, of course, is the phrase, laid to rest. Mm-hmm. People expected... So we're going to leave this show the rest right now because we have to take a, brush, take a break. Ah, 
a, a deep breath. <laughs> a breath, a break, or whatever. <laughs> you are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with uh, Richard Felix and Ron Kolick, and our very special guest is Jonathan Frost on TojiNet, Ghost Channel, Pararex, and beyond. So we'll be right back after the following messages. Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. Everything you heard about witches is true. Halloween is the time of year when the shades of the dead whisper from forgotten places and spirits walk among us. The witches of Salem, Massachusetts, honor this time with Festival of the Dead, an annual event series that explores death's macabre customs, heretical histories, and strange rituals. Founded by Salem witches, Sean Poirier and Christian Day, and hosted by the foremost authorities on the spirit world, Festival of the Dead beckons guests to step through the veil into a mysterious realm where spirits await you. To learn more or to purchase tickets, visit festivalofthedead.com or call 978-740-9783. Happy Halloween! <laughs> And I'm the lead investigator of East Bridgewater's Most Haunted. And we'd like to invite you to tune in. Ghost Chronicles, the next generation. Every Wednesday night. At 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on www.toginet.com. So, so yeah, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening. Like uh, Beyond Bizarre. And Cemetery Tripping. Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, one of these days you're going to get uh, so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, you'll, I'll have to get a new co-host. <laughs> I am brave beyond belief. Nothing yeah, we'll see. scares me. Except so anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Dan and Ron. See you then. back. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with Richard Felix and Ron Kolick and our very special guest is Jonathan Frost and we are here on Pararex Toji Net Hell knows where else 
sleep with us or what? Do you sound like you're sleeping there? <laughs> to me? Yeah, you. I'm still awake. Oh, good, I'm good. I'm very much awake. Trust me, anyway, I am still here. here. Before we get started, we have a new episode of Cemetery Trippin', so we're going to play that right now and get that out Whee! of the way. Here you go. Welcome to Cemetery Tripping, where each week I will feature a different cemetery that I hope you will seek out and enjoy as much as I do. You can see my pictures on Facebook by doing a search for Cemetery Tripping. Today I will be talking about a cemetery near and dear to my heart, the cemetery in my own hometown of East Bridgewater, Massachusetts, Central Cemetery. As a child, I spent a lot of time riding my bike around its winding shaded roads and climbing a large oak tree, which today stands over the graves of my mother and father-in-law. This cemetery actually contains an older colonial-era cemetery called simply the Old Graveyard, where stones dating back to the 1700s reside. The stones in this cemetery rival that of any classic New England cemetery, with their death heads, soul effigies, crossbones and such. Most of the stones are fairly well preserved for their age. Other unusual stone markings here include suns, which are sporadically seen in this area and can most likely be attributed to a local carver. This carving features a sun half-hidden, as if sinking into the horizon, sometimes with eyes, sometimes without, symbolic of the completion of life and ascension to heaven. A very ornate stone is that of the Reverend John Angier, a founding father of East Bridgewater. His large stone bears the engraving of him in his pulpit, preaching to his congregation in his robes and colonial wig, surrounded by columns and olive leaves. This stone dates from 1787 and sits in the very front row overlooking the main street, an appropriate place for him to continue overseeing the life of this small town. Another interesting stone in this cemetery involves the story of Francis Davis Millet, an internationally known artist, sculptor, and reporter. He was born in Mattapoisett, but had family in an art studio in East Bridgewater. At age 16, Millet entered the Massachusetts Regiment, first as a drummer boy and then as a surgical assistant to his father, a surgeon in the American Civil War. After devoting his life to his art, Millet was among the founders of the School of the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. On April 10, 1912, Millet boarded the Titanic in France, bound for New York City. He was last seen helping women and children into lifeboats, and his body was recovered after the sinking and returned to East Bridgewater, where his art studio still stands today. He was buried in Central Cemetery beside other members of his family, and his stone bears the engraving, Drowned in the Loss of the Ship Titanic. You can find Central Cemetery near the center of East Bridgewater, on Central Street, across from the town hall, and there's plenty of room to park along the roads of the cemetery. Enjoy your trek through this classic New England cemetery. And who knows, maybe you'll bump into someone you know there. And we are back. I like those things, don't you, Bridget? I think they're great. I love it. It's really good. She does a damn good job of it as well. Yes. Um, next time I'm over, I'd like to come on one. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to. I'll take you to see Absolutely. I, I do a, um, a, an occasional um, graveyard uh, tour. Uh, here in Derby, but it's not a ghost tour. 
I, I just mm. take people around uh, pointing out and showing them the, the famous people that are actually, you know, buried in, in this graveyard, which is fantastic. Because, as I say, we don't seem to have quite the same um, graveyard ghost culture that you have, which is interesting. Yeah, I guess so. So, anyways, actually, uh, did you know that Jonathan actually uh, does uh, events himself? I, I was, I didn't realize, to be honest yeah. with you. Jonathan, you still but, with us? I'm still here, yes. Yeah, Sounds and the name of your company, you company and your website, Jonathan? Uh, it's Dark Encounters, and the website is www.darkencounters.co.uk. Wow. And tell us, because you must, I presume, these are, do you run these yourself, Jonathan? I do, yes. Right. And so they must, must be different to what, to what the rest of us do. Well, I suppose um, I'm quite strict on how we operate. Um, I make sure that um, all, we, we usually break the, the whole team into, into groups of four, and I'm quite yeah. strict on the amount of time spent in each area, the types of activity that we'll conduct in each area to ensure that um, equal and opposite experiments are conducted, so that by the end of the evening I've got a set of results which I can compare to a previous investigation at the same location. So that I'm building a very large body of evidence um, by doing effectively the same thing over and over again um, in the same place, but with lots of different people. So making the, the locations the same and therefore logically the spirits the same, um, but then different people involved. So do you do you um, do you only have one location, or do, do you do lots of oh, different no, no, locations? Yeah. We, no, we, do, we have lots, lots of different locations. Um, yeah, right to the south. Um, yeah. But we'll we'll go to the same location over again, over and over. So I understand. Please book on that location. Okay. And do you turn up with uh, EMF meters and 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 thermometers and K twos and uh, night vision goggles and and? <laughs> and yeah? We do or? set up a lot of um, night vision CCTV so that we can monitor areas and we can watch people. Um, yep. And so that if they're having experiences, we've then got them captured. Um, um, we also do use laser thermometers for measuring surface temperatures of things. Quite useful when people talk about cold spot. You, you, can, oh, you yeah. can then use it very quickly to measure that. Um, yeah. As long as always people remember that, that laser thermometers measure surface temperatures, irradiated energy from a surface. People very often will think that if you shine into a cold spot, it will pick it up, but it won't. It'll only pick up the surface. Oh, so it, picks up the, it picks up the bit that the, the laser touches, of course, doesn't it? Uh, yes, and also it expands an area, so that by the time you, you point it several metres away, it's looking at a circle over a metre wide. It's not mm. the point anymore. That's something else. So, that, uh, so obviously, the, 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 if you look, try and measure something further away, it's losing heat, but you're measuring a bigger area, so you've got, you're less accurate as well. Um, yeah. But we don't use, um, definitely don't use K2 meters, and we don't tend to use EMF an awful lot. They will have them if we think they're necessary, but yeah. generally I think EMF detectors are over, overused. Yeah, absolutely right. I agree more. <laughs> Interesting. And, and so, but obviously you, you I, I presume you conduct a, 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 you know, a very scientific um, investigation. Um, in, in as much as yes, we don't we don't use mediums. Um, if anyone's going to come up with anything, we get we get the general members of the public to come up with something. The team yeah. leaders are there just to facilitate the process. They don't touch anything. They don't get involved in the experiments. They just facilitate the process, 
and the results we get are from, are from the just general members of the public. And it's very exciting when effectively you put a team together of general members of the public who have never met each other before, um, and then at the end of the night we get uh, corresponding evidence from the four teams who have picked up the same thing um, that supposedly would have occurred at random because of people who have never met before. They've never yeah, been there before. Yeah, and so you are, in fact, gathering, I, I presume, you know, quite a bit of of, um, of ev evidence, basically, yes. by, by actually going to the same place over and, and over again with different people. And the difficulty is, is trying to maintain with the team leaders um, the idea that basically every time we do this investigation, we have to treat it like a blank canvas. We turn up with no knowledge at all, even though we've done it like 10 times. And yes. you've got to resist the temptation of if you're getting contact to something, if you're doing glass work, or if you're having the same kind of uh, phenomena occur, to try and jump to the conclusion about, i.e., who you might be talking to, or what might be about to happen next. You've got to, because otherwise you then preempt it and you pollute that experience with your own preconception. So um, it's very difficult to like back off and go, all oh, right, we have to assume we've not seen this before. Um, and let's treat this as a completely new thing happening. Um, but then th if, we, if we manage to do that and then the same thing happens and the, it's experienced by people who have been there before, then that to me becomes quite compelling. And I think over, over the months, over, over the years, we, I've got like a, a case book now, five years worth of data, um, you can spot trends. I'm getting to the point now that because the things have been repeated methodically, I can start now looking at trends in terms of ha uh, time of year, the weather, seeing other what things might be affecting whether we have a good night or a bad night in terms of paranormal activity. And I think we're getting to the point that we can produce a very sketchy um, sort of metric in terms of me measuring it from one to five so that we can, we can then start producing some quantitative analysis uh, in terms of the activity that occurs. Wow, yeah. very refreshing. You know, you know what's really cool is we use this... Uh uh, environmental quality meter a lot. It's a nice little handheld thing. It measures uh, everything from um, air velocity. So, for instance, those cold spots, maybe they're from a draft. Well, this thing can pick it up. It has, of course, it has your regular thermal couple on it, and it has your uh, light measurement, so you can pick up, uh, you know, the uh, uh, the lux and so forth. It's it's good uh, RH. So it, it's good that it, you can measure several. Uh, environmental factors than just you know, for instance, just EMF or I mean EMF or uh, thermal, you know. So that's it's kind of a neat thing to have. It's a little gives you a little bit more than the normal meters do. Yeah, I think what, what we're going to hopefully work towards one, one day when we've got sufficient funds and the technology's caught up is that we have um, effectively solid state constant um, monitoring, so that we can have a video camera monitoring in real time so that we, we can measure air temperature, um, EMF levels randomly, um, humidity and all that kind of stuff could be monitored um, in real time. So if, if anything did happen, we've got all that data to look at so we can analyze it back. It's, it's a great thing. So, I mean, how do, the, how do you run these events? I mean, uh, if somebody wanted to go on them and what, what does it entail exactly? Um, it's probably very much like a lot of uh, the panel investigation teams uh, run. We, we start at the, end, at the beginning of the evening, uh, run through health and safety, because sometimes we have people who come over and over again. And some, there's sometimes people who have never been before. 
um, and are quite uncertain as to what to expect. So we'll run through health and safety aspects and some of the protocols required when you're investigating tea uh, is the paranormal. So things like making sure your phones are switched off, making sure you don't make too much noise, you have respect for the other groups who are in, might be in a neighbouring area, um, and about not polluting data in terms of talking to people in other groups about what they've just experienced because then that will eradicate um, anything that we record. Um, and then as, as we do that, we then split them into their teams and, and they'll spend something like an hour and 15 minutes in each location and then they'll move on. I know some teams will, will, will keep it much more fluid about the amount of time, but I, I find it, it sometimes if you're having a great night and so lots of stuff going on, you won't want to leave. Whereas another team might go, well, it's not fair. If I'd be in there, I'd have been experienced in there. Right. So I, I, I basically don't give the choice. And it's like, no, everyone is going to be experiencing the same thing um, by you moving all around. And that basically you'll get an equal opportunity to have done a series of experiments uh, and a in a series of locations um, so that overall, by the end of the night, you will, you will have had the same experience. Right. I, I know that when we do uh, the events, not just an investigation, but a, a, an event, and we have a group of people, and we actually split them up so they have different uh, team members, and they go to different locations for a certain period of time, so they're not always with the same team, uh, and they're not always in the same location. And so everyone experiences the same team leaders in the same locations, yeah. but at different times, and it works out much better that way. Absolutely. So how did you, I mean, how did you make the leap from, uh, you know, your studies into doing ghost events? Um, I think I sort of fell into it by accident, got, got involved in people that were doing it um, and realized that unfortunately in the commercial market that we live in today, the only way this is going to be funded is to basically invite the public on to join us. Exactly. And we have to charge because the business is, as you, if anyone's got a business, the minute you start a business, it, it starts costing money. Um, and sometimes you can end up having to spend a lot of money just keeping your business running, which is very frustrating. Particularly, that's not the whole thing, the reason why we set it up. But also locations themselves. Um, <clears throat> some of them absolutely love the idea um, and will let us in for free. Other locations, well, quite rightly, think, well, you know, we have stopped somebody else coming in, like a wedding or something, to come into this location, so we want to be you know, recompensed for the fact that we've allowed you to do that. So they charge. And um, I think that there was a point where things were getting ridiculous in terms of that, the amount that locations are charging. They've, they've sort of, I think, ebbed off now. As the markets have generally got harder for everyone, I think the prices have come down to a bit more of a sensible level at the moment. That's very true, actually. Yeah, yeah. Everyone was jumping on the bandwagon and uh, um, you know charging silly money, weren't they? That's the thing. And you can't blame them. Can't blame them because it was a big business. But it's it's you know dropping slightly, isn't it? Thank goodness. <laughs> I think it's it's normalising to a sort of sensible level now. So that those that are still interested can still do it, and there's plenty of demand, plenty of places to go to. Um, but hopefully, the ones that are just in it for the money, that are just smacking around, will sort of move on and find something else to social media or something to play with. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> so what is your your take then on on a ghost uh, as a quantum physicist or, uh, you know, what, what, do, what do you think it's all about? Well, I think um, there is definitely, um, I've, over the years, I've now distinguished a difference between potentially what we might consider a ghost and a spirit. Um, and I, I can see that there's... Um, there's an answer to be had in terms of uh, 
your consciousness um, bringing forward a spirit that might be connected to you. And then there's situations where we'll be in a, in a location and we might be picking up what you call a ghost, which is connected to the location and the building, which then ties into the stone tape theory. So there's, there, I, see, I see a difference between a ghost which seems to be locked into a building or location and a spirit which seems to be more fluid with, with people. So that sometimes when we do an investigation, they start making contact with something. It turns out to be a relative, i.e. a spirit. And we have to ask very politely if they'd move on because we're really here to focus on the building. And there's other times we, we, we sort of get whole, we make contact or things happen related to the building. And they tend to be not as interactive and not as lucid in terms of conversation. They, and which sort of builds, um, even though I don't necessarily believe in stone tape theory, it does sort of build in the idea of somewhere between res, uh, residual and stone tape, where there is this sense that it's an echo that has knowledge and has ability to communicate, but quite honestly doesn't think outside the box. Whereas sometimes yeah. the idea of spirit does seem to be able to, to have full-blown conversations and pass on messages and be quite intuitive about what, how, what it's going to do about communication. Yeah. What so about you are open to uh, spirit communication then? I believe people believe it to be possible. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, like I've not experienced it, so I can't say yes or no, but I've seen enough people experience it to know that there's, there's some significance. And I've seen in terms of the analysis of the data that's come across, I've seen enough what we perhaps some people call coincidences for me to think there's something in it. There's, we've had some fan- I, I will tell I don't know if I told this story last time, but it was an event we had at Fort Woodley, which is a Napoleonic fort built along Portsdown Hill that overlooked the town of the city of Portsmouth, uh, which is a very, very old uh, fortification and it was basically built against defend against the French. It has a connection with horses, and there's an equestrian centre there now. I think horses have always been kept there. When we did this one particular vigil, we had a situation where there were four groups of people who have never met before. They were all split up, so there's nowhere they could have conversed with each other, known each other to pass information between the groups. And three of the groups, in the process of uh, investigation, made contact with what they thought to be a horse, and this is the debrief at the end of the evening. And when they said this, I was a little bit embarrassed because, you know, when you do a location that's got a famous ghost, allegedly, and you suddenly you, think, you say, oh, I've got the ghost of King Henry, it's a little bit embarrassing because it's, it's sort of just seems like you're sort of grandstanding. So when someone yeah. said they had this, with a, a horse, you think, okay, that's a little bit embarrassing, that's a bit weird, um, because it was in one of the stable rooms that they, they, they made this contact. Interestingly, there was someone who worked there, joined the teams to assist, and his group didn't come up with this horse. And it was only when we were presented with this that three separate teams, for the first time ever, I might add, had come up with, they made contact with the spirit of the horse. He then told of a story that in the 1950s, a horse had got spooked for some reason, bolted out of its stable, with lots of different levels and staircases, but had fallen down the staircase, which is quite narrow, basically got to the bottom and broken its legs, so massive they had no choice but to, to uh, put the animal down there and then. So large they couldn't move it, so they just concreted over it. And that, oh was outside, that was outside the room that we were in. Now, I didn't know about the story, and until this guy told the story, 
to my knowledge, nobody else knew about it. And certainly the, the, the random general members of the public coming, very unlikely they knew that story as well. And we've been going up for years and didn't know about that. Um, so for three teams to suddenly pick up the same thing, they all picked up, it was about, 90, about 50 years ago that it occurred. Um, I could thought that was compelling, it, it, only in, in terms of the correspondence of the oddness of what they all picked up. That's amazing. That's a good one. That's <laughs> a cool story, though, too, in itself. It is, Just, isn't that wrong? Yeah. And also yeah, the negative, negative one in terms of the person that knew the story didn't come up. Because if he'd come up with it first, I'd be like, well, you knew that, you're bound to have come up with it. Mm. But he yeah, was one group that didn't come up with it. And sometimes it's what people don't come up with is just as revealing as what they do come up with. Wow. Yeah, that's 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 quite amazing. Um, tell me, because you know, I'm trying to get into this entanglement business and all of that. What what what's quantum entanglement and all you know people that know someone's going to you know phone them and and they know who it is on the phone and they were going to say that and you know you say to the wife, get off my wavelength and all. Is there something in it or? Right. It starts with um, physicists trying to explain something. And they use a terminology that people latch onto, that they run with, and then apply meaning to that was never there in the first place. It was just the simplified meaning that people clicked onto. So it's like the fact that all matter vibrates in as much as yes. it has energy that is sinusoidal in, it, in its form so that it could be said to vibrate. And of course, then people take the crystallography and take crystal and, and, and the vibrations of the universe, which really has taken the original meaning way beyond what it was ever intended for. Now, entanglement is, is, a, is, a, is a very old theory of quantum theory that when two particles um, meet, they interact and their interaction affects each other. And that interaction will be stored in the lifetime of these particles. And the idea is that you stretch, you stretch your mind to the impossible. So that, that you say that two particles interacted on planet Earth and went off their journey to the opposite ends of the universe. The idea being is that if you measure the properties of one of these particles, you'll instantly know the properties of the other. Quantum theory goes a bit further to say, well, in fact, you've affected the properties of the second by the fact that you've measured and then that means that there's been a, there's been an instantaneous uh, reaction across a distance, which because if we if we've just said these were at then the opposite ends of the universe, um, is in violation of, of relativity, which Einstein hated, because it, it, you, you couldn't have instantaneous events. Things always had to be um, bordered by the fact that things would always happen at the speed of light or slower. So the idea being is, is, is that this has been proven in experiment. I can even give you Alan um, aspect. In I think uh, 1989, uh, I think the experiment was done to prove that this actually um, effect actually does happen in reality. So what they indicated is that you can, and 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 also about quantum cryptography, it's the basis of that as well. In as much as you take a reading of one thing, you'll end up understanding the properties of another, and that's how they're going to make quantum cryptography work. Um, they're going to try and make very secure computers. Um, in, in terms of coding. Now, they've taken the properties of just the fact that you affect one particle to say, well, if it's affecting one particle, it can affect two. If it affects two, it can, it can affect a molecule. If it's going to affect a molecule, it can it affect a structure. And they've expanded it up to what we call macrophysics, 
which is then living organisms in terms of the reality of the world that we live in, there is always a boundary between what we call microphysics in terms of the micro-reality of quantum theory and what we experience in an everyday experiences of, of classical. There may be a whole load of coincidences to build up to the level where we then reproduce something that happens in the quantum theory. But that, if that was true, we would have a situation where you would have the ability to walk on a wall and suddenly pass straight through it, because that's what oh. quantum particles. Right. That sounds very much like a ghost. But um, generally, it's something we don't encounter, that when we walk into a wall, we will be stopped by it. So, unfortunately, there might be something in it, but in the way that we understand it at the moment, it would be very unlikely. Entanglement is right. real, but on a macroscopic level, probably unlikely. Ooh, I say. <laughs> I, know, I know we're just about running out of time, uh, so do you have uh, any last comments? Um, I think one day we will, we will reach a point where we will understand what's happening in the quantum theory. I'm convinced that paranormal will, will one day not disappear completely, and I think it will always be magical, and I think potentially the explanation will actually lead to something more magical than we, we could possibly imagine at the moment. In other words, reality is far more fascinating than oh, the, yeah. the Scooby-Doo side of things that we're going around at the moment. Definitely. Yeah, I thought so. So wow. what's, your ne what's your next event coming up, uh, Jonathan? Um, we have, well, we're going to be doing something very interesting in the dockyard, actually, Portsmouth Dockyard. It's a very, very old location. And um, uh, interestingly, we're talking about the, the hydro um, hydrophones. We're going to be doing something very similar because... There's a lot of shipwrecks in that area, and of course there's some very famous ships such as Mary Rose, which was Henry VIII's ship, and HMS Victory. Um, and we're doing things in that area and in the water itself to see what we can pick up, because if we, if we don't think that's ever been done in that area. So we're going to be huh. investing in the whole naval history. How funny. Yeah. Yeah. So it's deputy. Anyway, You're singing from the same hymn sheet. <laughs> We're, we uh, just about run out of time. I do want to mention one thing. They just found the uh, the shipwreck uh, of a British ship. I can't recall the name of it, but it, it has the largest uh, treasure of any shipwreck ever discovered. Uh, tons and tons of uh, silver bullion. Wow. It's been found, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That should help the recession it. a bit. Yeah. Why couldn't it have been us, Richard, huh? Yeah, too right, mate. <laughs> so, anyways, it's time to wrap it up. We want to thank Jonathan Frost. Uh, it's been great. Thank on. you. Yeah, my was very, very welcome. And what's give you give you a website quickly? Darkencounters.co.uk. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Richard. Yeah. Talk to you soon. Yep. Good night. Most enjoyable. From ghoulies to ghosties, long-legged beasties, and things that grow.